question that brought you here. Are you satisfied with what life throws at you without ever asking why? Because I'm not. I mean, if you're content talking endlessly about the same recycled subjects over and over, just go to another podcast, because this is a new platform for my friends, clients, and anyone who wants to hang around a virtual campfire and discuss questions you've always had, but never dared to ask. My name is Rich Nisbet. Welcome to It's the Question. Number nine, number nine, number nine, number nine, number nine, number nine. All right, here we are on podcast number nine of It's the Question. Last podcast, I asked, can you remember a time when you successfully helped somebody? You know what's interesting? That's the first time out of all these podcasts that no one sent in an answer. Yeah, really. And I'm going to tell you, I think I know why. And that's going to be the subject matter of this podcast. It's all around the subject of help. Helping others seems to be a really scary subject. And that's because we've all failed to help in our past. I don't know why it's such a hot button for people, but failed help is almost the same as and harder on us than the regrets we might feel from punching somebody or stealing money or having an affair or shooting somebody. Failing to help another hits us hard. It really does. But then on the other side of that, when you successfully help somebody, it's one of the most fulfilling things you could ever accomplish in your life. And speaking of being fulfilled, uh, you know I just put out that book, When It's Time to Help Somebody at the End of Life, and I've gotten a lot of responses back from people who have used some of the steps in that book to help their loved ones pass away peacefully. And they thank me, and they have done the steps, and they said it went really well, and I just gotta say that that is the most fulfilling thing for me ever. I actually joined a hospice group, and uh, some of the hospice nurses have commented how they wish others could have this information because they're in there trying to do their job, but they have family members spazzing out, being upset, badgering the nursing staff regarding this or that. In fact, one hospice nurse wrote me and said that she was trying to do her job and keep the environment peaceful and calm, but You've got these family members coming in and out of the bedroom, uh, TVs blasting, dogs barking, jumping up and down the bed, the the family members arguing with each other incessantly. I mean, a major purpose for writing that book was to help the nurses and doctors and hospice staff to do what they do without constant badgering and commotion from the family around the dying person. So this all relates to help and helping another. You've hired hospice and nurses to help grandma pass away peacefully, and I wrote that book to give you some steps so that you could help them to help grandma pass away peacefully. Now, isn't it true that when somebody dies, you automatically go into a failed help scenario where you're thinking to yourself, what could I have done 
or what should I have done, or what did I fail to do? It goes on automatic, and this gets really bad when a pet dies or a child dies. And there's a chapter in the book about that. The amount of upset and devastation and complete frozen emotions and lives ruined when a child dies is well known. And not only do you have the loss of the child and the void of that personality and that life force in your environment, but we're all pretty much wired to the fact that we are the ones responsible for the life of that child and to make sure the child is okay. So we not only have the loss of the child, but this huge, huge emotional failed help button hits us like a ton of bricks. We go into blaming ourselves, huge regrets, trying to figure out what we should have done. It ruins lives, believe me. As I point out in the book, it's rarely someone's fault or there's really no one to blame when somebody dies, but that doesn't stop us from beating ourselves up over it. In fact, it's amazing to me the amount of thanks I get from some of these simple, simple steps in this book. I'll give you an example. This girl called me and said she was on her way to the hospital, that her uh, grandpa was dying, and she didn't know what to do. And this is before the book even came out. She just knew I was writing it. So I said, well, okay, here's what you do. Try to be alone with grandpa, number one. Close the door, make sure it's calm in there. Grab his hand so he have a, you have a physical contact with him. Tell him you love him. Tell him you'll take care of anything he has attention on and see if he does. Ask him what he thinks the afterlife is going to hold for him. And tell him that at any time he wants to let go, it's okay that you'll take care of everything. Well, a few hours later, she let me know that uh, when she got to the hospital, he was pretty much out of it on morphine. But there was some awareness, and she did the steps the best she could but the point is she was so thankful that she had something she could do to help him her perception was that she did help her grandpa and she got closure on that and the send-off was way better than if she just aimlessly walked into the room and watched him die so regarding helping others i have noticed in my life there is this sort of a scale of participation for people. And I'll give you an example of uh, this scale that I kind of came up with. Let's say it's the subject of homelessness, people being homeless. Now, the scale would start at complete unawareness of that situation. And then all of a sudden they hear something about homelessness and they go, wow, I didn't even know about that. So that's the first real step of awareness of homelessness. Now, they don't do anything about it. They're just, they're just aware of it. So that's the first step. Then they start observing it more or spectating it. They, they Google it or they watch news programs about it or documentaries about homelessness. So that's a level of the scale. They're moving on up, they go to talking about it with others and mention it to people like, hey, do you know there are people that are homeless? Isn't that amazing? They don't have a home like they lost everything and they're on the streets. All right, so the next step of the scale might be writing to their 
congressmen about it. Like, we need to prevent homelessness. And they write letters and they try to get laws passed. Uh, moving on up there, they might donate to causes to help prevent homelessness. Moving on up, they might go down to uh, their local place and actually feed homeless people at a uh, food bank. You see, they're getting more and more more away from a generality of it all down into actually performing an act of help in front of real people. So they're feeding homeless people. That's, that's way up on the scale. And then they move up even higher and they actually bring a homeless person to their house, feed, clothe, and give them a place to stay. That would be way up on the scale. All right? It doesn't stop there. What if then they sat them down as in therapy and started counseling and coaching them on how did you become homeless? What happened? What was going on? Whoa, here's some tools that I think we could apply so that doesn't happen anymore and we can get you back on your feet. What if they actually one-on-one helped the homeless person to not be homeless anymore on his own? That would be awesome. And then I guess the top of the scale to me would be to teach others how to do what they just did for that person. So you see the degrees of participation on this so-called scale. I noticed that when I was going to school to be a counselor coach, the percentage of people that started on that journey and actually finished it was pretty low percentage. And then those that finished their courses but never went on to actually becoming a therapist or a coach was even less. If you Google how many people graduate as a psychologist and then how many people actually become a psychologist or a therapist in a practice where they're one-on-one with another person, it's really, really, really low percentage. Because help is scary. I told you that in the beginning. Like that scale of help and participation Giving money or watching the news about it or talking about it is way easier than actually confronting and facing a single person and helping them. Now, the point of all this is that I have found that it is not actually that hard to help somebody if you have certain factors in front of you. Number one, do they want help? That's the most important. If they don't want help, it's going to be really hard to push it on them. I remember a story of rescuers who say there was a boat accident and there were people floating around in the ocean, say 13 people. The helicopter arrives but can only take eight. The helicopter only holds eight people. Who do they save? They put down the rope and whoever swims to it, they they pull up and save. You can't pull someone up a ladder. They have got to help you help them. So the first step of helping somebody is to make sure they want help and that they will contribute to the end goal of being helped. Now the next thing to know is instead of giving advice, you ask questions. And really, that's the whole point of this podcast. It's the question. It is the question that is the most important thing you can do 
in order to help somebody. When you give somebody a question, you are getting them to look at the situation or the problem and you are getting them to see it from an angle they may have not looked at before. It's amazing. If you have a problem and you look at every single angle of that problem, it cannot exist anymore. It's only when you don't fully face something that it can continue unsolved. Now, I know inherently everybody really wants to help another. I know that because of the amount of people that signed up for these coaching classes that I took. And I know that because of the amount of people that get bachelor's degrees in psychology. So we all want to help, but if we're not sure how to help, we might back off from it. And that's what got me so excited about this whole, uh, all these classes that I took because it was all around questions. I mean, there are questions for helping memory. There are questions for helping people people get through grief. They are, there are questions around introversion. There are questions around personal abilities. There are questions to resolve problems, to get rid of guilt, to be able to face the future without fear. I mean, there are questions for almost any of our human conditions. Now, what's the difference between receiving therapy or receiving coaching or receiving counseling and being able to help another with it. I have to say that therapy is good only up to a point. And the point that the person can then start helping another is the point they probably should end off on therapy. Because where else are you gonna take that? Of all my years in counseling, I knew the person had arrived at a great spot when he or she said, Man, I want to do what you're doing. I want to be able to help others. Because when it comes down to it, what is the purpose of life? Maybe it is to help another person. In fact, I'll tell you a quick story. I used to advertise and market in ways. And uh, if I put down feeling griefy or do you feel lost or do you feel stuck in life, come to a seminar. And five or six people might show up in a week. I put an ad in the paper that said, learn how to be a counselor in four hours. And I got 40 people. So I know people want to help. It's just that if it's too complicated and they think they don't know what they're going to do and how will I go about it, that's when it becomes sticky. So if you can give some simple questions and teach somebody how to give those questions, man, what a satisfying career. And even if you don't make a career out of it, You can use these questions and these techniques and these directives in sales, raising kids, your own personal abilities, managing other people, relationships, and helping someone at the end of life. So don't be afraid of helping others. Jump in there, figure it out, and if there is any way I can help you, I totally will. It's kind of what I live for. Okay, so since help is kind of a scary thing and we kind of back off from it, even though we want to help, I would like to know what problem you feel you may create when trying to help somebody else. I want to know what consequence you think will be the result of your help or what bad thing would happen or what further non-optimum situation would your help create. 
write down as many answers to that question as you can, because it can be therapeutic and it can restore your faith and help and increase your willingness to help another. All right, we'll see you on the next podcast. Send in your answers to this question. What kind of a problem could your help be to another? Hey, thank you very much for being part of this. Email your replies and your stories to answers at itsthequestion.com. Thank you.